Uh, But 1 Kings 17, I'm going to read from verse 1. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward. Hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Now let's just end the reading there. We know the Lord will bless it, but let's just pray and seek his help. Uh, Father, I do thank you for the day you've given us. I thank you for your word. I thank you most of all for our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we come before you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the time of thanksgiving, as we've already had mentioned. Uh, Lord, and now we move towards a time of year when we think about your incarnation, your birth into this world and uh, your life. And so, Father, we always, uh, again, move to the cross. And we see that you were born to die upon Calvary, to suffer in our place, to be buried and rise again. We thank you for everything we have in Christ, and we thank you for uh, your word. Help us now, I pray, as we look into it this morning, that you would be glorified and each and everyone here would be helped. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Kings 17, we have this really explosive opening uh, into the life of Ahab. Uh, and uh, of, of Elijah. Ahab, we have some background of, of course. We know far more about Ahab in many ways, but Elijah just explodes onto the scene. Uh, and it's something, I think, which is very telling of the time in which he lived and the type of man that he was and the type of life that God gave him. Uh, we're going to see a number of things this morning, I hope, but there's a phrase in verse 1 there that I think stands out and it serves a foundation for it all. He says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. God lives and I stand before him. And everything else I think we see in his life in this passage and as you see what later on the way he would mentor and be helped even himself by Elisha, It's based upon this truth. The Lord God of Israel lives and I stand before him. And that phrase there, we'll dig into more as we go through today. But keep that in mind as we we see these things. His walk with God is something that was foundational to everything that follows. And we should take that for granted. We should know that. Uh, But recently I was preaching on Enoch and, and going through Genesis there. And it says, and he walked with God. What a testimony. One of the the elder men that I I knew growing up, his name was Richard Strutt, and he had a walk with the Lord. He had a prayer life. And apart from me mentioning his name here today, you'll never hear of Richard Strutt. You'll never hear of any great things that he he did, humanly speaking, but he was faithful. He kept the doors of a a church open along with a handful of other saints until the Lord could bring along a man to to reestablish the work. Richard Strutt, when he died, his family got together to decide what to put on his tombstone and they agreed with these words, he walked with God. What a summary of a life. What a way to just say, what sums up this individual who's now gone? He walked with God. And so may we follow Elijah as we we go through this. I want us to see three things in this passage and uh, I'll try not to put too much into one message, but it is something I'm often guilty of. The first thing we'll see is this confrontation with Ahab. 
secondly, we'll see the cutting down of Elijah. And then finally, we will see that he chose to trust. But first of all, this confrontation with Ahab. Now, like I said, Elijah just explodes onto the scene. It just says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah's name uh, means my Lord. My Lord is my God. His name was a constant reminder of the one true God. When somebody mentions my name here in America, it's associated with misunderstandings. And I have pictures from when I've been to fast food places and they put Monton and different things on the receipt. And so I stand there and again so often they'll say, Dave, Steve, Big Mac and large fries. And because they don't know what to say with the name. But names mean things. Names have correlations and connections. And Elijah, every time someone said his name, it could be that connection. My Lord is my God. He was a Tishbite, an ordinary man from a forgotten place. We don't have his background. We don't have his his legacy, his heritage, but we know that he was used of the Lord. And what they do know of Gilead is that it was a rough, rugged terrain. And it was reported that the people were rough and rugged like the place they were from. The lowlanders look down on the mountain people. You know, it's amazing how often geography decides your affiliation. Uh, And uh, I was told when I lived in Northern Ireland that the hillbillies here in the States were descendants of those followers of King William of Orange who moved over here. And, you know, they would call King William King Billy. And so the followers of King William of Orange, they came over here, went up into the mountains and lived, and they're the hillbillies. Now, whether that's just a good story or whether it's true, I don't know. But I know that there's a difference in the the, the mountain peoples and the valley peoples. And so it was with Elijah, the lowlanders looked down on the mountain people. But I tell you what, he was a man fit for the times into which God had put him. He was maybe not the type of man who would serve well in another place in another time, but he was the man that was needed for that day and for that place. He was the type of man who would go in front of the most powerful man in the land, Ahab, who was as wicked as they come, and stand before him and says, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, which by connotation was a reminder to him, you don't serve the Lord God of Israel. You're a follower of Baal and the false prophets. But he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, he says, you're going to be judged, and this nation's going to be judged. Elijah was the type of man who would take that message. His, uh, the, the one who would follow after him, Elisha, he was a very different man. But Elisha was the man that was needed for the time and the place that the Lord put him. Uh, Elijah here is going to be used in a great way. And we put him up on a pedestal. We have heroes of the faith. I believe we need to have heroes of the faith. But remember what James said about Elijah in James 5.17. He was a man of like passions. He was just like us. He had the same frailties, the same struggles and battles, and that is apparent later in his life. And so he has this confrontation with Ahab and a couple of things to take note of. His his pledge, the pledge of Elijah, he says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth. This was a spiritual confrontation. Elijah wasn't looking to put forward any personal agenda. He was there in the name of the Lord. This was a direct confrontation with Baal, with Ahab, with Jezebel. Ahab was a weak man. Ahab was a wicked man. Uh, And Ahab, although he had the power of the throne, he didn't have the power of self-control. He didn't have the power of faith to stand and, and do what was right. And Elijah stands here and he pledges, essentially saying, there's one true God. He's alive and I serve him. 
I don't believe that Elijah was a contentious man, but he was willing to contend for the faith. There is a big difference between contending for the faith and being contentious. Now, I grew up with uh, four brothers, uh, two, two brothers especially, and then two were born later on. Um, and I don't know whether it was my personality, whether it was a gift, whether it was something I learned to do, but I could push my brother's buttons. I knew how to get them mad. I knew how to get them to do things that would get them in trouble. I knew how to provoke them. I knew how to go about things in a way which wasn't always beneficial to anyone. (laughs) If you have siblings, then you may know the same. You may have experienced the same. But with that, there could be the the tendency for me to be contentious. For me to start something and then sit back. I know I could probably start a fight in the pews today by saying that Duke's mayonnaise is better than whatever the other one is. I don't even remember it. (laughs) We can fight over mayonnaise. It doesn't take much for us to be contentious. And some of you are like, mayonnaise is mayonnaise, right? But no, there's a battle with it. I know there are ways of, of beginning discussions and arguments. And I can be contentious. But for the cause of the gospel and for truth, I can contend for the faith in a way which is effective, in a way which is hopefully helpful. I don't think Elijah or any man of God sets out to start a fight, but we don't run from a fight if there is something that we stand for. I love one of David's mighty men. It describes him as standing and fighting alone in a field of lentils. And you say, well, that's just lentils, but they were the king's lentils. Yeah, it's like saying he's fighting over a hill of beans, but it was the king's beans. He was going to stand. He was going to fight. And so Elijah has this pledge. He comes before Ahab and he says, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. His pledge was God lives and I serve him. His power wasn't in and of himself. His power was not in any gifting that we might look at, humanly speaking. In Ireland, they talk about those who kiss the Blarney Stone. You know, it's those people who have the gift of the gab. They can just talk. They can speak. They can do things. And they don't have to practice. For some people to stand in front of a crowd, it takes all the courage in the world. And there's nothing more terrifying than standing up in front of people. But for others, it's like as naturally as breathing. And, you know, Elijah didn't have those natural uh, powers that he relied upon. His power was, he said, the Lord God of Israel before whom I stand. His power was of God. Now, some of you may be very gifted. Some of you may have a lot of natural talents and God can use those, but not because of them. He uses what he gives you because he has the power. And Elijah stood here and he said, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, he lived with the consciousness of the presence of God. Elijah's prophecy was there will be no dew nor rain until he prayed once more. He prophesied that this rain wouldn't return for a number of years. And imagine how that sounded to Ahab. It may have been, you know, in Luke 4.25, Jesus said that the, the, the drought, the famine lasted for three years and six months. Elijah here, uh, you know, when we read through his story, it would be three years. And so possibly there had already been a drought for six months 
No rain, the crops were already beginning to fail, the supplies were running out, and along comes Elijah the Tishbite, this wild-looking man from out in the wilderness, and he says it's not going to rain for another three years. Years. His prophecy would be fulfilled. And we connect him with his prayer life. Uh, we read in, again, James 5.17, and he talks about the fact that he prayed and it stopped raining, and he prayed again and it began to rain. And so although we don't know much about Elijah in terms of his heritage, in terms of his parents, in terms of his home and rearing and his training or anything like that, we know several things about him. He was willing to stand for the Lord. His power was of God. His preaching, his prophecy came true because he preached what was the word of God and he was a man of prayer. Which brings us back to that phrase in there, as the Lord God of Israel lives for whom I stand living with an awareness of the reality of God and the presence of God and the God to whom he spoke and from whom he heard. But then it all changes. As we go into verses 2 and 3, there is the cutting down of Elijah. The confrontation moves to a cutting down. In verse 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. I want you to see here the value of a single step of faith. The way it reads here to me is God said, I want you to go to Ahab, the king. I want you to stand before him. And whether there were soldiers around him, whether there was some kind of entourage around Ahab, uh, Elijah was told, go before Ahab and tell him that there is a God of Israel. He lives. I am that God. And tell him there's not going to be any rain. And Elijah, maybe he said, well, what next? Maybe he just obeyed, but he took that step of faith. He went before Ahab, he gave his message, and then the word of the Lord came to him to give him the next step. Uh, The value of a single step of faith means that eventually you get to the destination that God wants you to arrive at. Now, many of you are at a stage in your life where you are thinking much about the next step, and you've already taken steps of faith to be where you are now. Some of you coming from the other parts of the United States. Some of you coming from other parts of the world. And it took faith to come here. And that is something that the Lord will bless and the Lord is using. But I know many of you are thinking, well, what next? How do I get from here to where I'm going? I grew up up in England. But England hasn't been a Christian country if ever was such a thing for a long, long time. Uh, Since the the late 1850s, the decline in Christianity in in England may have kind of gone downhill little by little for a while, but then it was just like a cliff edge and it just dropped. Nobody in my town, apart from my pastor, ever came to me out of the blue and gave me the gospel. Now, there were any number of churches, but none of them came to me and gave me the gospel. It took a man from 3,000 miles away. A man whose life was so radically different from mine that it was almost comical. He grew up in times of great need. He would tell stories of growing up and and they would, you know, his mom would buy a sack of potatoes and then she would take the potato sack and make him a pair of pants out of it. I, I, I can't even imagine that kind of an upbringing. He talked about his dad when he had his first job and his manager gave him a hard time. And so his dad went down with his gun the next day and told his manager to be a little bit nicer to him. I can guarantee you that doesn't happen in England. (laughs) 
so his life was so different, yet he was the one who would bring me the gospel. When he came to England, I think, you know, maybe back then there were ones who did it differently. But most of you, if you go somewhere as a missionary, you're going to find out all kinds of information online. You're going to take survey trips. You're going to plan out your budget. And, you know, I think it's good to do all of that. My pastor got on a plane with his six children, seven children, got to London, went to a hotel and stayed there until they could find a house. I mean, it was different. But he brought me the gospel, a single step of faith in that man's life and a number of steps of faith brought him to me. Steps of faith that you have taken have brought you here and you may not know what's going to happen next. You may have an idea of where you would like to get, but you don't get to know very often every step of the way. When I was called to preach, I didn't know what it meant to be called to preach. My pastor, when I knew him growing up, he was a very elderly man of about 45 which I am now very close to. It was a daunting thing when I look back and I was like, I always thought my pastor was old, but he's the same age then as I am now. And I'm like, that's not old. Like, I don't know what happened. But I knew God was calling me to do something, but I'd never known anyone to be called to preach apart from my pastor who'd been called when it was a number of years back. I didn't know what it meant. But he helped me to take steps of faith along the way. He was such an encouragement to me. It was incredible looking back on how the Lord used him. Elijah here took a step of faith and stood before Ahab and gave the message. And then he took the next step and he went out to the brook Cherith. Wherever you're at in your life right now, just take the next step. Don't worry about the step after that. Don't worry even about necessarily understanding it. But if you know God has something for you to do, yes, rely on the wise counsel of those mature believers that God has put in your life. But when the time comes to take a step of faith, just take that step and the Lord is going to take care of you. So we see the value of a single step of faith. But then there is the value of the hidden life. You know, F.B. Meyer, he said, the man who is to take a high place among his fellows must take a low place before God. Before Elijah could impact the world greatly, he had to be separated from it for a time. He was withdrawn from the world to be with God. He went to a lonely place. And I don't know if he saw anyone else in this three years, but he was taken to the brook Cherith. And I'll say more about it in a moment, but Cherith means uh, cutting down. And I wonder if there was an Ahab, a man of like passions, that he stands before the king and he gives this message and he thinks, I am the man. I have stood before the king and given the message. And God knowing that says, okay, now's the time to go and speak to no one. Now's the time to go and get alone so I can make you what comes next. You know, it's not until verse 24 that someone calls him the man of God. There had to be some things take place in his life before he could get to the man that he would one day be. And I think this time at the Brook Cherith was a humbling time. It was a time of being cut down, a time of being made low. This hidden life where no one else saw what was going on, when maybe in his mind he's not making any difference at all. He's in a hurry, like probably many of us. We want to make a difference. We want to do something. We want to accomplish something. And here he is out by a brook, alone, with only the birds it seems to speak to. When God does that in your life, don't fret. Don't get in a rush. When the Lord maybe takes you to the side and he gives you time to know him better, 
when he separates you from maybe the things that you want to be involved with and you feel like what you want to get to is so far away, rest in the Lord. Leave it with him. Trust him. Jesus would draw the apostles apart and spend time with them alone before he sent them out. Before they were known as the mighty apostles that we know them to be, they were just a bunch of fishermen. They, they were, uh, it was a zealot, it was a tax collector. They weren't giants of the faith. They were just men of like passions. Don't focus on the result. Have a goal, have a mind of where God is leading you, but just keep taking those simple steps of faith. There is the value of a single step of faith. There is the value of a hidden life, the value of a humble life. Like I said, uh, the cherith means to be cut down. A.W. Tozer said it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. And I think I've seen that in pretty much every man or woman that I know has served the Lord faithfully. There's come a time of hurt, a time of humbling, a time of difficulty, but they came out of that differently. Elijah was the spokesman of God, but he needed to be more of that, more than that. And down in verse 24, we see that the woman would say to him, who had seen him used of God in such a mighty way, now I know that thou art a man of God, that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. But I think before any of us get to that point, we have to have a time of being humbled, a time of being cut down, a time of just being set apart to the Lord. So see the value in a single step of faith that many of you, some of you will be graduating uh, before too long. Others of you, it seems like maybe it's a lifetime away. Take a simple step of faith. Follow him. Value that time of being hidden and taken aside by the Lord. Value when the Lord humbles you and teaches you. I was humiliated yesterday driving down here and uh, got about an hour from here and a car in front of me stopped. And I didn't. And for someone who's trying to teach my children how to drive and who didn't bring the other vehicle we could have done because I thought it was too dangerous for them to do some of the driving coming down here. And then I'm the one who gets in the crash. Ah, that's humbling. That's humiliating. The Lord allows things in my life. And, you know, the Apostle Paul talked about that thorn in the flesh. But that thorn in the flesh made him lean that much more upon the strength of God. And so whatever the Lord may allow to bring some humility to us, embrace it. Spurgeon would talk about embracing the wave that would cause him to crash upon the rock of ages. Let God do the work in your life that you need. The final thing here we see in verses 4 through 6 is a choice to trust. In verse 4 it says, It shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. I've commanded the ravens to feed thee there. And so he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Elijah had a very focused trust. We need to make sure we have a focused trust looking to the Lord. Not looking to the means that he uses. Be grateful for the means that God uses. But don't mistake what God uses for God himself. Uh, make sure we keep an eye on the one who is the great provider. We need to look to the source and not just the means. And we, we should be grateful. Maybe some of you have had help getting here to Bible college. Be grateful for it. But remember, the Lord is the one who is ultimately provided. This brook was eventually going to run out. 
but God would provide in another way. It's a step of faith, a growth in faith when you begin to see that it's God that you want to be close to and not just what God does. There are many ways that we can praise God. We can praise God for who He is and also for what He does, but I think it's much easier to praise God for what He does. If we were to make a long list of ways that we want to give thanks to the Lord, we may thank Him for our homes, for our families. You would thank Him for having a Bible college to come to. Thank Him for the students that you are among and the teachers, the faculty and the administrative staff who make all of this possible. You're thankful for those who financially have brought you here. You're thankful for the Lord bringing someone into your life to give you the gospel. You should be thankful for the food you have, thankful for so much that He has done. But how often do we stop and thank Him simply for who He is? Because it may be that the Lord is going to take you to times in your life where you don't know when the next meal is coming from. You may get to a point in your life where you need maybe new clothes and you're not sure how you're going to pay for them. Maybe some of you are there now. You get a, a bill come in to pay for a repair on the vehicle or something breaks in the home that you need to replace and you say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to be. I don't know what we're going to do. Most of you, I hope, are in good health. All of you, I hope, are in good health, but maybe you're not. It may be that whoever won yesterday, with or without the help of the referee, I don't know what went on, but you've got to watch those referees, but you've also got to listen to them. I spoke about my family, my family on my dad's side, I don't say family. My grandfather was so bad when my younger brothers were playing soccer or football, as they call it over there, because you use your feet and it's a ball. Over here, you have hand egg because you use your hands and it's shaped like an egg. <laughs> but my, it's going to get worse if I tell you which football team I support, so I'm not even going to go there. But um, my grandfather was so bad that the referee once gave him a red card as a supporter and told him to leave the field. So a good man, but had issues. You're going to have times of need in your life where maybe your health is not what it is. And those who won yesterday, maybe you give thanks for the athleticism or the skill that was used in winning. But what happens when that health goes? And when you can't thank God for what he has done, because in your mind, you can't see what he's doing anymore. We thank him for who he is. He's holy and he's good and he's loving and he's kind. He's patient. And there are all these things that he is and we praise him for those things. And that is a focused trust. When the river, the brook begins to run dry, can we still praise? Yes. Should we still praise? More than ever. His trust was focused on God. God has provided for myself and my wife and my family in so many ways down through the years. Uh, we, we were supported by missions given for a, a number of years. We were in Northern Ireland for a time. We were in Northern England up in Sunderland for a time and then uh, went back down to the church I grew up in. I was a pastor for about um, five years when I came to the realization I had no idea what I was doing. And so I wanted to go and work with my pastor again because the Lord had taken me through a time of cutting me down. And so I wanted to go work with my pastor and just sit at his feet and learn and so I went back to the church I'd grown up in and, and then the Lord just worked things out and I became the pastor there for seven years. And you know, the Lord provided for my family and I in so many different ways. 
Some ways I can explain, some ways I can't. I just know that provision was made. I've had to learn to have a focused trust. But I don't know it's a lesson that you ever get to and say, all right, I'm done. When you graduate, you're going to be given a certificate and your time for that particular program at Ambassador will be done and maybe you'll come back and take further studies. But there'll be a time when it says you've graduated, you've accomplished. When it comes to faith and trust, I don't know if you get to a time where God says, okay, you've learned to trust enough. Let's move on to something else. It seems to be cyclical. I had to learn to trust God for myself But then I had to learn to trust God for myself and my wife. And then I had to learn to trust God for my wife and my children and myself. There are different cycles of learning to trust. But a focused trust on God means that we look to him and not just what he does. Uh, One old hymn says, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, now it is his word. Once his gift I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. And throughout that hymn, it goes on to talk about the fact that it's all about him. A focused trust in him. Consider the ravens. Uh, not a natural way by any means for meals to be provided. Now, I would encourage you, and every chance I get, I would encourage you, believe the word of God simply for what it says. Now, if it uses uh, an illustration or a symbol, then the Bible's going to explain that, but it says ravens. And so I believe it's ravens. There are some commentaries who would say, well, that was a word that refers to the, uh, the, the uh, nomadic, Uh, travelers who would come through and God used them to bring Elijah food, which to my mind is still a miracle because if there's a drought and there's no food, if it comes down to it, I'm going to feed my kids before I feed you. Now, I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings, but you know, if there's a drought and a famine, I'm going to take care of my own first. Now, maybe the Lord's going to rebuke me later and I should be less selfish, but I'm going to look after my kids. So if these ravens were even these nomadic, what I don't think it was, it's still a miracle. Believe the word of God. Always be careful if something says, it says this, but it means that. Let the Bible be its own commentary. It's the best interpretation of itself. And so I believe these were ravens. These were carrion birds who ordinarily would not transport food. They would use food, and yet the Lord used them. It was a focused trust on the Lord and not on the fallible means. It was an obedient trust. It says that God told him, Get thee hence and turn the eastward, hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Elijah could have gone somewhere else, but God said, I'm not going to provide for you somewhere else. I'm providing for you there. In his mind, maybe he said, Well, maybe I can just go back to my family, to my parents, or whatever relatives he may have had. But God didn't say, I'm going to provide for you in that location. I'm going to provide for you there. This, again, is the importance of steps of faith. Go where God wants you to go. Serve him where he wants you to serve. God could have used other means. God could have used angels. Later on in Elijah's life, when he's at the lowest point, God would use angels to come and minister to him. But it's not what he did there. In the the next step in his life, he's going to be taken to uh, this widow at Zarephath and God's going to provide for him there, but that's not what he did. We know later on that Obadiah was kind of a secret saint serving in Ahab's uh, palace and he talks about 7,000 who had not yet bowed the knee and God could have used any of them, but for Elijah, he said, I'm going to provide for you there. 
it can be a little bit scary when God gets you to do something that others aren't doing. Still within the lines of God's word, still faithful and conservative, orthodox, you know, sticking with truth, but maybe taking you down a path that you didn't anticipate and maybe one that's different to others. But it should also be a blessing that God has a tailored-made plan for your life to be used by him in a particular way. He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows the hairs of our heads are numbered. It amazes me in the Psalms where it talks about he, he's numbered the stars and he calls them by their names. Isn't that amazing? I, I love looking into space. I love looking at the stars. And I think, you know, with, with just your eye, you can count something like 3,000 stars if you take the time to do it. With telescopes, they look further and further out. And contrary to all scientific predictions, space just gets bigger and bigger. The more they look out, the more confused they get, because according to their theories, it shouldn't be that way. And there are countless numbers of stars within our own galaxy, within the Milky Way. But so often, when they found a pinpoint of light in the sky that they thought was just another star, it was actually a galaxy with hundreds of thousands of stars. I think it's Psalm 147 or thereabouts where it says he calls them all by their names. If he knows the names of stars in space, he knows you. When he says, I want you to go there, I'm going to provide for you there, and this is the way I'm going to do it, a focused trust is going to be an obedient trust. And then lastly, see here that it was a persistent trust. In verse 5, Says, so he went and he did according unto the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. It came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Can you imagine what it was like for him there in the hot desert? As far as I can tell, mostly alone waiting every day for when the birds would bring him his meal in the morning, his meal in the evening. And then he would take a drink from the brook. And then after a while, he notices that the, the width of the brook was a little bit narrower. The depth of it was a little bit shallower. And over time, he sees it becoming less and less. And then one day he looks down and it's just dust and the water is gone. The supply has run out. He waited by the drying brook. You know what's easy to do when things start to look like they're going wrong? To say, all right, I'm out. The, the supply begins to run dry and you say, okay, well, I'm done. You may have had a focused trust at that point and an obedient trust to get you to that point, but you need a persistent trust that will continue to stay where God wants you to stay, to do what God wants you to do, even when it gets more and more difficult. In our minds, even though we may know it's not true, we may say, well, I'm going to do something good for God and God's going to do something good for me. And, you know, it's easy to think that way. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I did. Once I was stood at a bus stop in England and I was getting ready to come home and this drunk kind of staggered over to me and, and kind of mumbled some words and he was asking for a bus fare to, to get to his home. And I had just enough money to get myself home. Uh, but I thought, you know what, I'll walk home. Look, this guy's in a, in a mess. He's in a bad way. So I gave him the only money I had. He got on the bus 
and I felt good about myself. What a good guy I was. Giving my money to a drunk. He probably could have had money if he hadn't wasted it on alcohol. But how gracious was I? I didn't judge him. I gave him my money. Just, if you could have known me back then, you would have been so impressed. (laughs) And so I started walking home, feeling good about myself. And it started to rain. And there was a bit of a thought that said, well, Lord, I just did a good thing. Now you're going to rain on me. And, but then, then the goodness of Martin snuck in and said, you know what? I'm going to praise God anyway. What a guy. And then about five seconds later, I was like, Lord, really? <laughs> like, I did a good deed. Where's the blessing? Where's the reward? And I'm walking along and now the puddles are forming in the road and this car just flies past me. And now a muddy puddle flies up all over me. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. Was I wrong to give the money to that drunk? I mean, like I did a good thing and now I'm being punished for it. My trust had dried up as quickly as that rain had started to fall. And there are so many other times in life and in much more serious ways, you may be serving the Lord and you may be expecting one thing and the Lord sends another and your trust, your choice to choose has to say, Lord, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. It may be that you say, Lord, this this really hurts deeply, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Lord, this has costed me dearly, but I'm going to trust you anyway. And as that brook dries up, You've got to make the choice to continue to trust. I think I said maybe he was there for the three years. I I, I misspoke there. He says after a while, um, he moved on and the famine continued. It's believed he was maybe there for a year or more, but still, this was a difficult, difficult time. What is the drying brook in your life? Is it a drying brook of money? Are you wondering how you're going to pay your school, school bill? Are you wondering how you're going to get home for the holidays? Are you wondering how you're going to pay for books? Is it the drying brook of popularity? Are you thinking, man, I just wish I had more friends. I wish I knew more people. I wish I could get along with others. Is it the drying brook of fame or purpose or whatever it is? And the more you're looking, the less it seems to be coming. Continue to trust. Continue to wait on the Lord. The psalmist would say about his struggle in Psalm 62, he says, my soul, wait thou only upon God. And I just keep coming back to that phrase we had in verse 1, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand. And there we just need to sit and there we rest. Where are you this morning? Is God calling you to demonstrate courage in some area of your life? Is there some courageous step that you're going to have to take? And maybe you're going to have to take it alone. Again, one of David's mighty men talks about him fighting alone for so long that his hand claved to the sword. And when the battle was over, they had to peel the fingers off of the, the, the the, the handle of the sword. Is there an Ahab you need to confront? Maybe it's an Ahab. I'll just throw things around here. Maybe it's an Ahab of someone else or something else or some ministry, but maybe it's the Ahab of some personal battle that you need to stand up to and say, no, for the glory of God, I'm going to stop doing this thing. For the glory of God, I'm going to start doing this thing. What's the courageous step that by the grace of God you need to take? Are you ready for the Lord to cut you down? Are you ready and are you prepared to say, Lord, I don't know what comes next, but whatever it is, I'm going to trust you. Uh, Do you see the value of the hidden life and the humble life and the faithful life? And are you determined to trust 
your battles now are different to the ones they will be. There are things I look back upon and I'm like, man, that's so easy to compare to what I have now. But at the time, it was the biggest thing in my life. It was the most difficult thing in my life. But I can tell you what makes the difference is you right now, if you say, Lord, I'm going to choose to trust. That is my default. That is what I'm going to do. And when that time comes, you're going to be ready.